We welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan. Joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's been kind of a weird couple of weeks. It's hot all week. And then Friday night comes around. It gets cold, windy. It was that way last week. And it it looks like it's going to be this way again this week. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're ever going to get a nice fall evening uh, at a high school football game. I mean, even uh, not last Friday, but uh, two Fridays ago, I think uh, it, it was in the lower 90s. Uh, that day so you know we're just going to skip I guess the, uh, the 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 pleasant fall weather where it's you know 71 degrees uh, during the day and you know sunsets and it's still pleasant throughout the night yeah I'm, I'm still holding out hope for one of those either not hot not cold Friday nights well we're going to start off tonight I thought it'd be a good time to go back to our good bad and ugly segment i'm gonna take it from either pro or college football this week so let me start off with my good it may be your good too brad for a rare time with the sterling warriors on a bye i actually got to sit down and watch the entire ku jayhawk game against central florida this last week brad and i was thoroughly impressed i was disappointed and i think this is just going to be an ongoing thing Jalen daniels again Misses his second straight game with that back injury. But boy, how did they, they just stuff the ball down the throat of Central Florida the entire game long. 399, two rushers, Neil and, um, uh, excuse not McDuffie, the other back. I saw. I saw both over 130 yards. And the way McDuffie was chewing up some yards, he was, he was approaching 100 as it was, and they just ran all over. Central Florida controlled the clock um, so well in the first half en route to a shutout in the first half, 24-0. Central Florida got a little bit of rhythm, got some yards, finally got their running game going in the second half, but um, KU really never let up offensively. Jason Bean didn't have to do a lot. Um, and the thing I think I really liked about it, what you know, they talked so much about Central Florida's pace and tempo on offense i loved what ku would do every time that central florida would substitute even in just one guy they would make sure they rushed in three or four new guys so the official would have to go and stop the play and let ku substitute they just didn't let central florida get in rhythm and well they they played a really good game on saturday yeah, they, they did. I mean, uh, just dominated Central Florida. Central Florida team, they came into that game, I think, with a top five offense nationally. And, you know, by the time Central Florida found their, their offensive rhythm, I mean, the game was pretty much over. Uh, so a lot of those yards that they got, I think, uh, let, let me go back down here. Central Florida finished with 371 yards of offense and 21 first downs. And, they probably had some in the neighborhood of at least 200, if not 250 of those yards in the, in the second half. I mean, they, they, I think they were shut out at halftime, weren't they? Yeah, no, no points in the first half. So, yeah, Kansas absolutely uh, looked great again. And, uh, you know, Jason Bean just kind of played caretaker as, you know, <laughs> why throw the ball when they, they can't stop you on the ground like that? And they almost had three 100-yard rushers. And, heck, the, the fastest one of the ball, Jason Bean didn't even need to run the ball at all. So, uh, it was a good week from, weekend for the Jayhawks, uh, no, no doubt about it. How concerned are you um, 
with them moving forward with his Jalen Daniels situation, it just feels like this is going to be a, it's going to be an, a week to week thing. You're never going to know for sure that far ahead of time, whether he's going to play or he's not. It just seems like this is going to be ongoing. I think they've already pretty much ruled him out for this week. If for no other reason, because they have a bye after this with Oklahoma looming. So I think the thought right now is let's just sit him out this week. Let's let, get into the bye and let's see if we can get him ready for Oklahoma. Uh, having said that, Scott, you know, how many, how many FBS programs out there, Power Five or even just Power Five programs, would take a quarterback like Jason Bean as their backup? Oh, golly. They're lucky to have him. I know that. Yeah, I mean, to have a to have an experienced senior like that, I mean, look, does he have the natural talent that Jalen Daniels has? Uh, you know, of, of course he doesn't. Uh, but, you know, Jason Bean is obviously a very capable runner. He's got the ability to, big, to make big plays. I just said last year it just seemed like for every jaw-dropping play that Jason Bean made, he also made something that just like, what is he doing out there? But I think that Jason Bean is more than capable. Even if, you know, God forbid, he's got to start every game the rest of the season. I don't think there's any reason right now, Scott, why Kansas can't win eight games right now. Do you think they beat Oklahoma State on Saturday on the road? Last week at this time, I would have said yes. But then Oklahoma State just manhandled K-State. At least they manhandled their offense. Oklahoma State's frankly not very good, Scott. And Kansas, uh, they've only played two road games, and they really haven't looked good in either one of them. Uh, they, they played okay for a while against Texas. You know, they were in that game well into the third quarter. Did not play well against Nevada, however. Mm. So, you know, Kansas needs to they, – they're obviously a different team on the road and not necessarily, necessarily for the better. So, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, again, I, I, I would have said a week ago, uh, this is a, a pretty easy bet, I think, for a win. 50-50 now, I think. Yeah, exactly where I would be. I would I would be picking this one um, as a pick em game if you were having to pick it um, this week. So what would, what would be your good from this past weekend? You know, Scott, uh, we were talking before uh, we came on the air here or before we started recording here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to always point out the the victories as something that happened that's good right i mean it's always easy to say this team won let's talk about them for me the good that i saw in in football this last week was from uh, central christian here in hutchinson they lost 66 to 16 to canton galva a uh, mercy rule game that ended in the fourth quarter i did that game uh with sam ojeda we we're sitting on top of the press box at canton galva uh, shout out to Larry O'Connor, the AD at Canton Galva. He gave us uh, vouchers for free food. And, of course, not uh, no one's going to turn down free food, especially Sam being a college kid. <laughs> but I, I just – you know, we were just saying in the second half as the game was clearly – almost it was almost over. You know, Canton Galva kept looking like they're going to win by Mercy Rule, and then they finally did. But Central Christian just played hard. Nathan Reed, their junior quarterback, is just a good – a good uh, player out there, you know, Pearson Huff, Justice Huff. I mean, they, they made some big plays out there, some quality plays out there against a good Canton Galva team. They only have one senior on that roster. And I just think that overall, I was just really impressed with, uh, you know, Canton Galva isn't as strong as they have been. They're still pretty doggone good, though, Scott. And Central Christian, they, they were overmatched in many ways, but that they, they still played hard. You know, they got the ball routine. They, they, they moved the ball on almost every possession. You know, they, 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 they crossed midfield more often than they didn't. 
just, you know, it, a team like Central Christian has to be perfect against a team like Canton Galva. They can't have a, you know, a drop pass. They can't have a holding penalty. They can't fumble the ball. Uh, you know, third and two, they got to be able to convert. They can't have a false start penalty or, you know, get stuffed for a two-yard loss or something like that. But, you know, I was just really impressed with uh, first-year coach Matt Barnett and his, and his team. That I think that they're still – they're going to make the playoffs. I think that they're still going to finish second in that district to Canton Gallo. But I tell you, the, the future looks bright for Central Christian football. Well, most, if not every coach, will tell you that they find out the most about their players and their team when they're taking a tail kicking. Um, because they'll look at that film and they'll see who was still – given a hundred percent effort when the game was hopelessly lost and and every coach will watch that film very intently because that tells you uh, the the kids that are there for the, for the betterment of the team and they, they still play a hundred percent. And that sure kind of sounds like what you're talking about there with central Christian. Um, My bad, Brad, I've got to go to Mario Cristobal, the head coach of uh, the Miami Hurricanes. Did what you- an idiot. I'm sorry. I, what an idiot. <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing you saw the debacle that happened. As You're Miami. nice. Still, still a ranked <laughs> team, undefeated, so still in the realm of possibility of, uh, of a playoff team, probably on the outside looking in at, at that point, have the ball – with the lead on Georgia Tech and all they need to do, the the clock's under 40 seconds, is to take a knee. The game is over. It, it It's over. There's no timeouts for Georgia Tech. It's a 40-second play clock. It was third down. They didn't have to run a play. And for reasons I don't even think known to him, he runs a play. They fumble it away. And you're thinking, okay, they're still all right. Georgia Tech's they're down four. They have to have a touchdown. It's still a long field. I think they still only recovered at their own 30 or something like that. And then whatever defense he was playing on that next to last play of the game is unbeknownst to me as a guy gets five to 10 yards behind the deepest defender and Georgia Tech throws a bomb and wins the game. Uh, I'm, you know what it took me back to, Brad? I'm sure you're going to remember this as well, was when Herm Edwards was a player for the Philadelphia Eagles. Is that the miracle at the Meadowlands? The miracle at the Meadowlands, the same thing. Joe Pisarczyk, the quarterback for the Giants, he'd already taken a knee or fallen down on the play before. They could just run the clock out. He tries to hand it off, collides with the running back, balls on the ground, hops right up to Herm Edwards, he runs it in, the Eagles win. I mean, it – it's exactly what it reminds me of. I have no clue what they were doing in this situation. I, I, I have no idea. Well, there was one year where Iowa State played in Vegas. They played UNLV, and it was something along those lines where, you know, Iowa State led by three or four, less than 30 seconds left. or There may have been a little bit more time than that, but – Basically, UNLV had no timeouts left. All Iowa State had to do was go to a knee, and they were going to win the game. They're at the one-yard line, and I guess if you're, hey, we're just going to punch it in for six. Well, guess what happened, Scott? They fumbled. UNLV takes back for a touchdown. I also remember the 2008 Orange Bowl, Kansas and Virginia Tech. Kansas won 24-21, but what what may not be uh, well-known is that Kansas actually had the ball at the one-yard line with about a minute and a half left, and Virginia Tech was out of timeouts. 
and Mark Mangino elected to go to a knee and end the game. And there's all kinds of people saying, oh, that was such a classy move by Mangino. No, it had nothing to do with class. It had to do with brains. <laughs> I mean, Mangino wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to take it easy on Frank Bieber. No, he said, I want to win this game. Scott, tell me if I'm wrong by saying this, but I think some of these coaches – I just think that they think that they're so much smarter than everybody else. And I'm going to use another example of this. Uh, Brandon Staley for the Chargers. I just think that they think they're so much smarter than everybody else that, you know, that, that they coach at a different they, – they coach at a different way that cannot be – that you know, unorthodox, that's so unorthodox, can't be questioned or whatever. And I just think some of these younger coaches just need a nice slice of humble pie. Now, uh, you know, the, the Miami coach, frankly, Scott, if I'm the AD – I'm not saying I fire him, but he, I, he's in my office on on Monday morning, maybe even Sunday morning. And he's he's answering one question, and that's what are you doing? I, I, I just I just can't believe it, Scott. I mean, I, I, I you know McDaniel for is that his name? The Miami Dolphins coach? Uh, yes. Yeah, he he's the opposite of this. He's not someone who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He he is a genuinely good coach, I think. But again, I, I just it, it is just mind boggling to me what what happened down there with Miami. That may have been a a, a late Saturday night meeting. If not, uh, he might have missed church the next morning. I, I would. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that what would what would be your bad? Uh, that certainly was mine from the weekend. You want to laugh? Oh yeah, Denver Broncos. <laughs> I, I figured oh, you laugh, um, Scott. Uh, I. You know the Denver Broncos are currently in the middle of a of a of an NFL record streak, right? Do you know what that streak is? Oh, I do not. I thought I saw it, but I don't remember. They are currently in the middle of a streak, most year most consecutive years missing the playoffs after winning a Super Bowl. Okay, they have not made the Super Bowl since, or they have not made the playoffs since Peyton Manning retired, and. You know, they, they 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 actually played a fairly decent game on Sunday against the New York Jets, a Jets team that gave the Chiefs all they can handle. Admittedly, that game was in New York, and the Broncos got them in mile high. But you, you got everything that you could possibly want if you're if you're a Broncos fan that night or that that day. You got the ball down by three with less than two minutes left, and you're thinking we've got Russell Wilson. You know, we've actually had a decent offensive game. We're going to get at least in the field goal range. We're going to maybe at the very least take our chances in overtime. But with that much time, heck, you might be thinking, you know, we might win this game. Oh, no, Russell Wilson fumbles. Jets get a scoop six ball game. And the Denver Broncos are – and, I, and I, I hope I don't end up, you know, biting my tongue on this. But, of course, because they, pl- they play the Chiefs on Thursday night. They're just a mess right now, Scott. You know, Russell Wilson is – I think he's going to that, that contract he signed that sets them back five or six years. Sean Payton, you know, I'm sorry, he, he did win a Super Bowl, did a great job with the Saints. I think he stepped into the he, he's the wrong coach in the wrong place at the wrong time. He stepped into the probably the worst possible position I think you could have stepped into, with maybe the exception of you know the Raiders or something like that. But heck, Scott, I I, I think I said this before on our podcast. I think the Raiders are actually a better franchise right now than the Broncos are. Oof. And the, the the Broncos are so just mind-boggling with how how bad they've gotten. I, I think I may have even said this last week that from John Elway to the end of Peyton Manning, 
there was I don't think you, you can make the argument that there was that the Broncos were the model franchise for that for that time period, which is what, 82 to 2015 or so that the Broncos were the model NFL franchise throughout that time. And now they're just an absolute mess. They're one and four coming to Arrowhead. They have not beaten the Chiefs since Peyton Manning. And as a matter of fact, the, set, the second game that year against the Chiefs, the Chiefs beat Peyton Manning in his last game against the Chiefs. I just don't see a way up for them right now. And, and I'm not saying this year, Scott. I'm talking about the next decade. Uh, you mentioned that the, the contract, the way it's structured and the, and the length of the contract um, with Russell Wilson. I, I don't remember the exact numbers and everything, but it's a lot. It's, it's a, yeah, it's like you said, I think it's minimum five years because you don't have any capital to, to improve your team. And, and quite frankly, right now, they need a quarterback. And how ironic is that? I mean, well, who's going to take on that contract? What NFL team? I don't think anybody is. No, they'd have to cut him and eat it. I mean, in those guaranteed contracts, Brad, what you don't realize is if you cut the guy, you're still on the hook. Yep. For that, you're going to be paying dead money if you get rid of him. But I've I've never seen somebody go. Refresh me if I'm wrong. My memory when the first, even the first year, he came over from Seattle. Wasn't he pretty bad that year as well? Yes, he has not had a good season yet with the Broncos. I think the first time you thought this is his third year in Denver, correct? I think so. Yeah, I think the first time I thought. Maybe he's turning the corner. Was at the end of last season. He had a few pretty good performances at the end of last season, including one at Arrowhead. He he played pretty well at Arrowhead last year, um, and and I think he backed it up with a couple more good performances. That was really the first time I thought, okay, maybe this is the start of Russell Wilson coming back. But of course, it's it's not fair to completely blame uh, Russell Wilson. He's actually probably on their list of problems. Not, he may not even be top ten. His contract is a problem. But his playing isn't necessarily a problem. They're, they're bad defensively. They don't have a very good, uh, you know, wide receiving core. Jerry Judy is a just a bust. I don't know why everyone considers him to be some great wide receiver. Uh, they're just a mess right now, Scott. And I think they're walking into a lion's den on Thursday night. Uh, I, you know, I, I, the Chiefs have a tendency to make not so exciting games exciting. But I just got a feeling the Chiefs may go out there, and it won't be like the Bears or anything like that, but I think that they go out there and put a pretty good thumping on the Broncos this week. They beat the Broncos by, what, six and three or six and one point last year, was it? Yeah, they were, they were both pretty close, yeah. I I don't know. I have a hard time thinking that it's not going to be because the Chiefs have the unique ability to play down yep. and up to the level of their competition. They've, they've already shown that um, this year. I don't know, but yeah, uh, I that's a pretty good bad, I will say. And we'll get to the Chiefs here in just a minute. And do you want to laugh, Brad? Sure. You know what my ugly is? Uh, Missouri? Dak Prescott. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott. We were texting each other a little bit on Sunday. A part of me actually feels bad for you because I know you like the Cowboys. Uh- I am. I, I, I've always been since a little kid. I've been Chiefs and Cowboys. I, I, I still am. But I'm, I, I, was, I was the fence line on whether Dak was going to be the guy for Dallas that could take him to the promised land. I'm on the other side of the fence now, Brad. I'm with a lot of the commentators. It ain't going to happen. It, it is not going to happen. I mean, the discrepancy. 
the distance right now between the Eagles and the 49ers and everybody else in the NFC, if Dallas is one of your next best teams, is enormous. Uh, that, that performance at San Francisco was awful, and Dak was just as awful. 14 to 24, 153, a touchdown, three interceptions on three consecutive drives in the second half. They just get the doors blown off of them, 42 to 10. Uh, I just, he just can't do it, Brad. In the big games, he has always come up short. He's got good personnel around him. He's got a good back in Tony Pollard. He's got good receivers. Um, most of the time, the offensive line is good. They gave, did give up four sacks in this game, three when Dak was in there, and he got pulled later in the game for Cooper Rush. But And the trouble is, it's like any other team, Brad. You know, they, they you holler for getting rid of the quarterback. Who are you going to get in replace of? That's Russell the, Wilson? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want to make sure you're going to miss the playoffs, go ahead and do that. Maybe they could get a straight-up trade there. But, um, yeah, that's just that's just an ugly situation right now because I just don't feel like the guy – I just don't feel like he can do it. I just don't. Dak Prescott has a lot of the tools. Um, and I think you have maybe have said this before, Scott. I think if Dak Prescott was a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, he would have shown it by now, right? I just he, – he's a fine quarterback. He, he's a good quarterback, capable of putting up some big numbers. The thing about Dak Prescott is he's going to win you some games. He's also going to lose you some games. Uh, he's kind of like the – in many ways, kind of the opposite of Alex Smith. Alex Smith wasn't going to win you many games, but he wasn't going to lose you many games either. So he's just kind of, uh, you know, give and take, I guess, with, with Dak Prescott. I, I, I just – it's just not going to happen for him, for him and the Cowboys. I mean, could, could they have a, a year here in a couple of years where maybe they make it to the NFC Championship game? I mean, I, I guess anything is possible in the NFL. But when you look at their schedule, I mean, they got the Eagles twice still. Uh, they got to play the Chiefs. Do they play the Chiefs this year? Uh, I'm pretty sure they do. The Chiefs? No, that, that's a no. They play the North, not the not the East. Let me so, see. No, yeah, so it's not the Chiefs this year, but I know that they got to play the Bills. They got to play the Eagles twice. Uh, Washington, what w- once or twice still? Uh, I think they played the Chargers in their one-off game, uh, the seventeenth game or whatever. They they've got some pretty tough games. I think they play Miami even. Let me uh, the, schedule here. Well, they they have to go to the Chargers next Monday night, and Chargers. Well, that's I, a home game for Dallas then. And, and then they've got the Rams at home, Eagles, well, the Giants. Boy, the Giants can go into that discussion with Bears and Broncos as worst in the league. And then there's at Carolina, but that, Carolina will make that a game. Washington, Seattle, Philly, Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, and Washington again. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is – right, they could miss the playoffs very yeah. easily. Very easily. Sure. Sure. I mean, t- you know, they go down to nine and eight, ten and seven. Uh, maybe if they're lucky, they can slip into the seventh seed. I don't know. Um, it's uh, you know, you got teams like the the, you know, the Lions. I mean, the the, you know, the, the Packers aren't bad. Uh, there's there, you know, the the Eagles obviously. I mean, I don't think Washington's even a bad team. Uh, yeah, I, th- I do think the NFC is a little bit weaker than the AFC, but yeah, I yeah, I agree, Scott. They're gonna have a hard time. 
you know who he reminds me of? Okay. Uh, quarterback that, and and I apologize to Viking fans in advance. It's Kirk Cousins. Um, same thing. He's a good quarterback. He's going to win you quite a few games, but he's never going to get you to the promised land. It's kind of who I kind of put them in the same same boat right now. You know, uh, Minnesota's kind of committed to Cousins here over the last few years, and it's just not going to happen for him. Yeah, he's not a bad quarterback. I mean, was fairly pedestrian against the Chiefs the other day, but uh, yeah, I, I it's it's not going to happen for Cousins again. He he's going to get you to the playoffs. Dak's going to get the Cowboys to the playoffs, but they're not going to take him to to a Super Bowl championship. So uh, we'll chew on that a little bit. And what's your ugly for the week? Well, Scott, part of me, I don't know, man. Uh, it, it's it's not K State football. It's Will Howard, mm. the, the senior quarterback for K State, was just miserable Friday night against Oklahoma State. At halftime, he was five for eleven for eleven yards with two interceptions, and he finished fifteen out of thirty-four. Uh, which is 44% for 152 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. He ran the ball pretty well, 104 yards. He had a long of 70 in that game. So other than that, but you take away the 70-yard run, that's nine carries for 34 yards, which is you know pretty pedestrian. There's K-State fans starting to call. Well, not start. They are calling for Avery Johnson to, to, to start. The, um, you know, there's even several K-State fans who have already said, you know what, I think this is the year that Kansas beats us. So, I'm not quite going to go that route yet. Long way to go before that happens. But, you know, Will Howard was so good when needed these last couple of years. And now that he's uh, the undisputed QB1, it's like he, he he's forgotten how to play the position almost. It's like he's he's lost his edge. It's like the, the, the pressure he didn't feel from being QB2 is now all – it's like all the pressure in the world is on him now. And he just doesn't know how to handle it. So – you know, 15 for 34, I mean, 5 for 11 in the first half, that's not going to win you any games. And again, Oklahoma State was not regarded as one of the best teams in the Big 12. They're actually regarded as one of the worst teams in the Big 12. You know, K-State still, you know, we say it every year, they, they always lose some head turners, but then they go out and, and and win some big game, like they'll beat an Oklahoma or they'll beat a um, a Texas or something like that. And that could still happen. You know, we, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but... Man, it's just that, that that was just a brutal performance for K State's quarterback. Is he healthy? Do you think he, you know, he's been banged up? Do you, do you think he's actually 100% healthy? It's a great question, Scott. A fair question. Um, I, I really don't know. I mean, to go from where he was to where he is, there's something going on. Yeah, I, I tend to wonder if there, there's something there that they're not letting on that he's trying to play through, but. Well, Scott, they're three and two right now. You know they got to go to Tech this weekend, who's probably been the most disappointing team in the Big Twelve so far, three and three. But you know they if if they if they don't win that, you know they still got road trips to Texas and Kansas. They don't play Oklahoma this year, but they still got trips to Texas and Kansas this year. Uh, the the schedule is fairly favorable, but if they don't beat Texas Tech, boy. I, I, Man, I, yes, are we getting word if you're a K-State fan? Yeah, I think the your concern meter is 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 in probably that five to six range. Um, they drop another one, it's going to sh- certainly skyrocket into that that eight or nine range. So yeah, um, I don't know. They 
he does not look right. I don't know. And maybe it's just like you said, maybe the pressure putting too much pressure on himself. Maybe he's still a little banged up. Maybe the combination of the two, but that's our uh, good, bad and ugly segment from uh, this weekend. Uh, we've mentioned the chiefs a few times again, winners at Minnesota 27 to 20 um, got to watch a good portion of this game. Most, I would say most of the game I, was able to take in. Um, wow, it was it was an interesting game. There was, you know, you're always going to get. You got to realize as the Chiefs Super Bowl champions, you're going to get everybody's best effort. They always do. It was kind of a back and forth game. I know everybody and their dog wants to talk about the officiating um, at the end of the game or in the fourth quarter. The the flag that was picked up on pass interference. Um, well, let's just go ahead and start with that, and then we'll talk uh, a little bit more about the game itself. When I watched it, Brad, I was initially yelling about I, – I didn't feel like that should be a flag. And then I see the replay, and it just reinforces that for, for me for two reasons. One – well, actually three reasons. For one – Sneed had very little contact on the receiver to begin with. Second reason, the receiver's not, he stops. He's not even trying to go make a play on the ball. He acts like he doesn't even see the ball. And the reason may be, it was about 10 yards from him, at least. Not a catchable ball. I thought that was a well-officiated play that they got together, talked those things out, and picked the flag up. Um, Yes, the helmet coming off after the play should have been a penalty. Um, I like the discretion of the official telling him to put his helmet back on. I think they should use that discretion more often. Um, but the thing is, after the play, still would have been the chief ball. Changes field position a little bit. But as far as that flag being picked up, I thought that was well-officiated doing that. Well, I actually felt it was a well-officiated game. I don't really remember much, you know, the Chiefs committed 10 penalties, and to be honest with you, I don't remember any of them that were, I thought that, oh, that's that's a bad call or anything like that. I mean, look, we can we could look at tapes from every NFL game, and we could probably find penalties galore that weren't called or maybe bad calls here and there. Uh, but the bottom line is this, Scott. Um, week before against the Jets, the the whiny narrative was, oh, you you can't make that call right there. You know, you 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 have to. Or you 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 have to let them play, right? Or or whatever. Now now it's like the, it's taking a complete one eighty. Or people are saying, "Oh, you've got to throw a flag there." You know, you can't you you can't let them get away with that. Well, what is it? And the week before, you're saying that, "Oh, we have to let them play a little bit." And now you're saying you have to throw the flag. I mean, you can't win. Um, and look, I'm not naive enough to think that the Chiefs aren't the benefactors of some calls every now and then, or just like the Jayhawks at Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, it, it comes with being the best teams out there. Uh, but did you know right now the Chiefs are like third to last in uh, in in net penalties right now and like sixth in net yardage on penalties? <laughs> I mean, come on, it, it, it's it's not the, the refs have had very little to do with this. As a matter of fact, if you say anything, the Chiefs are winning in spite of the refs. And re- remind us again, Chiefs had ten penalties. Remind us again how many the Vikings had? I think four. Okay. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> and, and you and you've said it. If if, if the fix is in. Um, the referees are doing a really bad job at covering the Chiefs with the flags. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and the, you know they're playing um, 
a Denver team on Thursday who's actually one of the best teams in the NFL in terms of uh, net penalties and net penalties yards. Uh, I think it's called the NFL Penalties is the name of the website. It's, it's actually a lot of fun to go to. Uh, anyone who listens or even you, Scott, uh, check it out sometime. It, you can have a lot of fun playing around with that. Well, what I, what I liked in the game, of course, that final drive, Brad, not giving the ball back. Um, they ate up over seven minutes um, off the clock. And then Mahomes, now I know people that were uh, uh, maybe financially wagered on this game were wanting to uh, string up Mahomes for sliding short of the goal line. I believe a certain spread may have been covered had he gone into the end zone. But um, it's kind of the same situation. If you score, make the extra point, yes, it's a 10-point game and there's only a minute, something left. But you still have the chance of a couple – couple passes you kick a field goal you get an onside kick you still have a chance in the game Mahomes made sure they had no chance Um, he goes down they're out of timeouts they run the clock out it's a ball game I I love the way that they finished that game and did not allow the Vikings to get the ball back yeah it's two weeks in a row the Chiefs have had the ball uh, with a one score lead and didn't allow their opponents to touch the ball again so uh, that's that's what championship teams do. And, you know, again, we've seen it plenty through the these last few years. The Chiefs often have the tendency to make games a little more, more exciting than they need to be. I mean, going to overtime with the with the Texans and barely beating the Raiders last year and squeaking by the Broncos twice. Uh, lost Heck, they lost, to, they lost to a bad Colts team last year. So it's 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 just kind of what they do. And they they but at the end of the day, they win couple of things in the game at, at times their lack of pass rush um concerns me. there was times back there Kirk Cousins he just had unmolested had all day and you give um an average or even a below average QB in the league that kind of time um he's gonna find receivers so I think at times the, the pass rush that'll help when Nick Bolton gets healthy um he's just another dimension to that there was times they did get pressure on him got a couple of sacks on him um but, Brad, how can the Chiefs continue to be just awful in second and third and short? I, I, I want to – every time a runner gets tackled on first down after a gain of about eight, I, I want to go run and hide and get curl up in the fetal position because I just know the Chiefs are going to end up hunting. I mean, it, it just – explain to me how they can continue to be with a great back in Pacheco and a good offense, offensive line to be that bad in second and third and short. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you go back to the mid-90s when they had Marcus Allen. If it was third and one, I mean, what, you're, you're better off just jumping offside because uh, Marcus Allen, he was going to get it every time. Yeah, it, it's just perplexing. Uh, I think now the teams have made the adjustment to Isaiah Pacheco. They know that the Chiefs have stopped being cute all the time. And look, I'm not saying the Chiefs can't ever get a little bit uh, adventurous on third and one. You just got to know when to do it, I think. I mean, they, they got to the point where they're doing it all the time and teams were expecting it. Well, now I think teams are starting to take away Pacheco a little bit. So, you know, like you said, uh, that that eight-yard pickup on first down. Okay, maybe second down is a time where maybe you try something, you know, a little end around to Kadarius Tony or something like that or line up Kelsey at quarterback and just bulldoze your way up the middle on second down. I think third down is not – I don't think third time is the time to get cute, though. No, but it seems like they just – when they try power um, on those plays, it, it, it doesn't work. Um, so I hope they can find some kind of a, a solution to that because it's kind of 
it's head scratching. And if, maybe the other thing, were you like I was when you saw Kelsey go down towards the end of the first half, no contact, kind of hobbles to the sideline, wings his helmet, and then he comes back and plays a really good second half. Um, I was when people go down like that, you see their foot or their leg kind of give. I'm always thinking that looked bad when it happened. I was so thrilled that he came back and was able to play. Yeah, those non-contact injuries are often uh, season enders. So you know your your first thought is it's it's bad, but then I. I follow a pretty good guy on Twitter who's uh, like a longtime, uh, you know, athletic trainer. And he immediately tweeted out, don't worry, Chiefs fans, it's a low ankle sprain. It sucks at first. It hurts like the Dickens, but he's going to be just fine. And uh, obviously, I think, I, I don't know if they diagnosed as low or high, but, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, 10 catches for 67 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he ended up having himself a pretty nice game. Yeah, he did, and uh, you could you could tell he would not sit down or, st- or stand still on the sideline. He continually kept moving um, to make sure that that thing didn't tighten up. And I guess the other thing, are you seeing any development out of any of the wideouts that gives you hope that there's going to be that emerged, emerging um, second target or a guy that's going to step forward and say, I, I'm the guy at the wide. We know Kelsey's the guy. Um, receiving do you see anybody that you're hopeful of is it a justin watson is it a rasheed rice is there anybody out there you're 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 liking more i'd like him a little bit more of rasheed rice uh he had a touchdown catch during the game let me see if i can find exactly when it was uh it was his third quarter touchdown pass it was like a yeah eight yards over the middle and it was one of those where he knew he was going to get blasted and he got hit pretty hard when he made the catch and the fact that he, you could tell that he knew he was going to get hit, and he still, you know, had the wherewithal to hold on to the ball and score, that, that was pretty important, I think. He was targeted, let's see, five times, so four catches for 33 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Watson, two for 56. Justin Ross, two for 28. Heck, even Kadarius Toney uh, caught five passes for 26 yards. So, you know, they, they, I think of all the players, I think that Rice is the one – that I think has the most upside, but you know, Watson just seems to make some plays, doesn't he? He does. That was an incredible catch, you know, that was reviewed um, there on the sidelines. Um, I think one of those two can certainly step up again. I'd like to see maybe a little bit more two, three tight end sets. I think all their tight ends uh, very capable. And I, I think that's going to continue to evolve and that's 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 pretty exciting for the four and one chiefs again they play the thursday night game against the broncos this week um anything else in the nfl that's standing out to you i've got one that just uh based on the last two weeks brad is there a chance bill belichick's on the hot seat I would say maybe, and it would also, but it would also depend on where they get their draft pick next year. I know that they they got that one guy uh, who may not even be going to the draft next year. I can't remember his name for the life of me, but uh, it, I mean the Patriots just aren't very good right now. There's another way to say it. I mean, just kind of goes back, just kind of proves that you know, coaches can only do so much. I mean, they need talent to surround them. I mean. You know those Brady teams. Uh, they they were just Brady, man. They had they had they had players besides him, and they they just don't have them right now, Scott. I mean they're they're just not a good football team. 
And they lose to Dallas 38-3 and then go home. And the Saints shut them out in New England, 34-0. Now they play uh, at Vegas on Sunday. Mac Jones has gotten benched two consecutive weeks, but they still say he's the number one quarterback, so we'll see. But that's something you really never thought you'd be talking about would be his job potentially in jeopardy. Um, Blue Dragons, Brad, no trouble again. And this last weekend played a pretty good Dodge team, but you wouldn't know it by the final score, 46 to 10 as they get their second bye week coming up. But the Blue Dragons, boy, continuing to make statements why they are ranked number one right now. Yeah, the defense scores again. You know, they got a safety. And uh, their special teams, my goodness, uh, Nessus Berger, an Australian, hit a 50-yard field goal, a school record 50-yard field goal. And the thing is with this Hutch team is they just seem to, you know, you think it's second quarter, okay, you're down 5-3, you're down 7-3, you're down, you know, 6-3, you're down 10-7, you think you're there. And the next thing you turn around and look at the scoreboard, and you're down 29-3 at halftime, and it's, and the game's over. So they, they're able to get you just uh, with, with – uh, you know, quick touchdowns. Their defense is so stinking good. Uh, the only touchdown the Dodge State scored was a late garbage time touchdown. So most, I mean, I think half the touchdowns they've allowed this year have been in the garbage time. It's they're they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat. And you know, I think right now with four regular season games left, honestly, I think the absolute worst that they do is is make the playoffs. Uh, I I can't see at this point any reason why they wouldn't make the top four. Uh, I think they're going to be undefeated going into Iowa Western. Iowa Western might be undefeated too. So, you know, much to be determined uh, down the stretch there. But I think that the Blue Dragons are looking pretty good to, at the very least, make the playoffs again. I I agree as well. I, I, I got a feeling, and again, we'll, we'll talk about it. They get a bye, but we'll talk more about it. The, the Iowa Western game looming out there. That could be a, that could be quite a showdown if they are both undefeated. Well, of course, we're into, well, week seven of the high school football season coming up on this Friday. Talk about the game I've got coming up, the game time game of the week on Your View and Cox Channel 22. Brad, is a really intriguing game, and these records are correct. I got Wichita Heights 5-1 and one at Bishop Carroll, who is 2-4. and four. Uh, Carroll really limping into this game, both literal and figuratively. Um, they are a banged-up team. They've moved, uh, just actually visited with their coach this evening. They've moved the shifting offensive linemen around, one offensive lineman now a tight end. Um, one of their best receivers is questionable. They've already lost their best receiver potentially for the season to an injury. Just getting a linebacker back. They And this was amazing, Brad. I didn't realize that had been this long. Lost the Capon in the Holy War at Riverfront last week for the first time since 1999. That's an incredible record in that spirited rivalry game. All that being said, they played a brutal schedule. Um, Their four losses are to Northwest, Derby, Junction City, and Capon. Two wins against South and North um, where they scored handily 70 and 41 points in those games but heights you look at them definitely improved team but they've got two one-point wins against garden city and west they did lose to northwest but their other wins are north south and southeast so uh 
a light schedule there. I really think this is a kind of a toss-up game. Both teams run the ball well. It's supposed to be windy as all get-up. Um, Heights has got great linebacking play. I, I think it's going to be a, a pretty good and entertaining game on Friday. Yeah, how would you like right now? You look at the 5A West standings, and you're, if you're May South, you're thinking, oh, we're the three seed. Great, huh? And then you see you might be playing Bishop Carroll in the first round. I mean, there's still two weeks left, much to be decided there. But uh, someone's going to draw Bishop Carroll and not exactly be thrilled with that in the first round in Class 5A West. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Heights, you know, let's just say what it is. They're probably the benefactors of, of a favorable schedule. There's no other way to really say it. But that doesn't mean that they're a bad team or anything like that. As a matter of fact, um. You know, this is uh, they're, they're they're competing right now for as many home games as they can possibly get. Uh, you know, the top eight get one, the top four get two, and right now they're sitting sixth. So they they know that the that the margin of error is pretty slim right now. If they want to try to get into that top four to get two home games, uh, they they can't afford to, tr- to to slip up this week. Yeah, they're actually tied for in a four way tie for second. I know that standings have got tiebreakers figured in at this point, but. Um, yeah, important game for them. I, yeah, I think it's going to be good. We, we had that week one game when they came back and beat Garden City. And I, I never, at halftime, I would have said they're going to get blown out by Garden City. And they came all the way back to win that game. So it'll be, uh, it should be a really fun one there at Bishop Carroll on Friday. And we look at the Ad Astra schedule, Brad, it, it just continues to be bad for Lions as they're going to play out southeast of Saline on Friday. Hillsboro at Smoky Valley. Uh, Bueller at Rose Hill, I tell you, nobody probably right now playing any better than the Crusaders are. Um, you think they keep that, that streak going against the Rose Hill Rockets? Yeah, I mean, Rose Hill actually isn't a bad team. They're 3-3 three and three right now, and, you know, you look at their – their losses, you know, they lost to a good collegiate team. They lost to Andale. Everybody loses to Andale, and they've lost to Abilene. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would play those three teams and go 0-3 and against them. Uh, they beat Bowling pretty comfortably, too. I think this one isn't quite a sure thing for Beeler, but they're playing, like you said, Scott, as well as anybody in Class 4A right now. And uh, they're tied with Abilene for first. And, of course, you want to try to get that top seed to guarantee home field advantage all throughout the playoffs. So, uh, kind of like uh, what we were just talking about uh, with uh, with Heights. You know, Bueller still doesn't have a much margin for error. they got to keep going. 4A and 5A, and really even 6A, you could call it the Wild Wild West because there are a ton of teams battling for the home games. That's going to be an important last couple of weeks of the regular season. Intriguing game here, um, Ellsworth at Halstead. That's your game. On 96.7 this Friday, Halstead has um, had some nice wins this year. They've played a tough schedule. Ellsworth undefeated. Um, you give Halstead a fighting chance this Friday. Gosh, I thought if I'm Derek Rissette, the Halstead coach, I'm talking to his AD and say, hey, man, can we line up our schedule next year, man? I mean, you know, Hoisington, Southeast of Saline, Hillsborough, those are the three losses they beat, and they beat Pratt. And actually, maybe one of the best comebacks of the entire season in, in the state of Kansas. Ellsworth, though, uh, you know, a good season last year. Almost everybody's back. Uh, they just beat a quality Russell team last week, 33-4 to team. They, uh, they beat down Hillsborough, 43-15. to They beat Beloit, 22-14. to I mean, Ellsworth isn't just good, Scott. I think they're a threat to make it to the championship game. Yeah, I think they are, too. They are playing really, really good football. And Southeast of Saline, don't count them out. Um, and two a Kingman. 
or Kingman. Yeah, those are those two teams for what they have lost in graduation. I'm impressed with the way they're playing this season so far. Uh, Mulvane at McPherson, I think, can be an interesting game. Mac loses to Wellington last week. Uh, you give Mulvane a shot there in Mac on Friday. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> we we kind we kind of thought that. Wellington would be an interesting matchup that, you know, that they're a pretty good team. And, you know, Mulvane started out 3-0, and and since then they've lost to Rose Hill, Beeler, and Winfield. But, uh, you know, I, I think that – I don't know if Mac is a wounded animal right now or how much their, their, their you know, their pride's hurting a little bit. I don't know. Um, other than that, uh, the other than, like, the middle two quarters against Great Bend and then that 57-10 win over Augusta, it's it's been kind of a struggle for McPherson. Uh, they lost to a good Junction City team. Uh, they they beat somewhat comfortably Circle thirty two to sixteen. Struggled against a not very good Winfield team, and then lost to Wellington uh, on a late touchdown. So, uh, boy, and then they got Bueller the week after that. I mean, if if they don't win this one, Scott, I mean, they could be looking at a three and five season. I never never thought I'd be saying that about McPherson football. Yeah, and certainly that would lock in. Well, they're probably looking at a road game anyhow, but that would lock in um, starting the playoffs on the road. Um, That difficult 1A district continues this week. Medicine Lodge at Ellenwood and then also Sterling at Trinity Catholic. Boy, Sterling's had a couple of tough losses here the last couple of weeks, and it doesn't get any easier for them. They're playing a difficult schedule. Do you think they bounce back at that for me right now is kind of a pick 'em game there in Hutch. Yeah, I think uh, that that you know, first of all, we Medicine Lodge has kind of come from nowhere this year to to be a contender. Uh, Sterling took, kind of took it on the chin last week against Conway, but a lot of teams are going to do that. And uh, Trinity, boy, they've been so close in their last uh, two losses to Marion by seven, Medicine Lodge by two. I, I I don't know how they're feeling about things right now. You know, if if I'm coach. Jordan Bell, I'm, I'm I'm optimistic because they could easily be on a five-game winning streak right now. But with Conway Springs looming after that, uh, boy, th- th- this is a big one for both teams. It is very big because, boy, then you're starting to look, think, am I going to make the playoffs if I lose yep. this? Um, yeah, that's a big one. You mentioned Marion. How good do you think Marion is, Brad? Undefeated right now? I was impressed with the, the win over Council Grove last week. How good is Marion? I've got them ranked number two in my rankings. I do a kind of a, I, I join these other journalists from around the state, and we kind of co- uh, cobble our rankings together, kind of an, unaffi- an uh, unaffiliated poll, I guess. I got them ranked number two, Scott. Uh, other than Trinity, they've been pretty comfortable in victory this year. They really haven't been challenged. Uh, admittedly, their last few uh, weeks, uh, you know, Remington's not the strongest of teams. Bell Plains not the strongest of teams. Council Grove though was four and one, and Marion just went out and, and hammered them thirty-two to fourteen. I, I think Marion's legit. Who do you have number one? Uh, they were on the other side of the state, and that would be Pittsburgh Colgan. Pittsburgh Colgan. Where, where do you have Smith Center in those rankings? I think I got them four. Okay. Yeah, one A. Hmm. That's good. Is is there going to be? I think all the playoffs are going to be fun. Is there going to be any more fun than one A? There's a lot of good teams in one A. There are, and let's not forget about defending champions, St. Mary's. They've won three in a row after playing a pretty tough schedule. Centralia is always good. We can't forget about them either. 
And then on the west side, I mean, gosh, you got all kinds of teams. You got Valley Heights, you got Smith Center, you got Wabansi, you got Marion, you got Sedgwick, you got Conway, everybody in District 7, I should say. Uh, <laughs> then you, got, you got Plainville. Uh, boy, uh, whoever makes it out of 1A West is going to have earned it. Absolutely. Yeah, the last game on that Astra schedule is uh, Cunningham at Burton. I don't think Cunningham um, any trouble with that. Do you, do you think Cunningham maybe right now? I know they had some graduation. Some of those kids back from that state championship team. You think maybe the are they the second best team in six A right now? Well, after losing to Ashland, then Ashland losing to Shylin, I think we probably I have Cunningham ranked third right now. Sure. But on the eastern side of the state, Cunningham is is the probably the prohibitive favorite. Uh, Waverly's pretty good, but other than that, you've got. You got uh, Ashland, you've got Shylin, you got Northern Valley, who are all very, very good teams on the on the western half of the state. So, uh, geography is probably going to help Cunningham a little bit this year, as I think that they're probably going to be the solid favorite to make it to uh, back to Dodge City from the west or from the eastern side of the state. Uh, Andale last week, Brad, really what people thought was their first quote unquote test of the season. They handle Wichita Collegiate. 28 to 7. And just let me get in on their schedule here. Upcoming for Andale. This is a, this is a weekend, Brad. This is Cheney on the road. You see any trouble for Andale this week keeping what is it now? A 57? Yeah, it's been an, it's been a hot minute since uh, you covered their last loss, actually, I think. Am I right? I did. It was uh, to their week eight opponent, Pratt. That was back in 20, I believe it was 2019 now when that that was the semifinals of class three. Was that 3A? Were they still 3A or 4A? That was 4A then. 4A at that point, yep. Um, Great great game. Yeah, Cheney's obviously really good, Scott. You look at their results this year, and they haven't given up a point since week two against Garden Plain. And, you know, they've just have run the gauntlet of their schedule. They beat a very good Kingman team to start the season. Uh, it it kind of reminds me a little, a little bit of, I think it was 2021 when Collegiate was kind of thought to be the team that might be able to hang with Andale. And then Andale just obliterated them. And it was close by their standards, but it was like 29 to 7. So it really wasn't that close. But uh, we had that game, didn't we? We, we did have that game. And Cheney was still pretty good last year. 32 nothing was the final out of Andale. <sighs> I can't pick against Andale until I see it, Scott. I just can't. And that's no disrespect to Cheney. I'm sure that everybody in Cheney would agree. Say, well, yeah, why would you say that Andale is going to lose this game when they haven't lost since 2019? I guess I need to see it. Uh, but here's something to remember, Scott. This may not be the only time we see these two teams match up. Yeah, that is true. Uh, they could see one another uh, in the playoffs again. I was just looking at that schedule. It, it... <sighs> Has anybody had it worse than Nickerson since week one? No, maybe Lions. I don't know. Yeah, well, Lions is a given, but they beat Lions six to nothing. And then they've had to play this schedule. Hillsborough, Haven, Larnard, Andale, and Cheney. That's been 85 to 7 and 70 to nothing. They get Pratt this weekend. And then um, to this point, I believe Smoky Valley is still winless. That's their final game of the regular season. But that has just been brutal. For Nickerson after that week one win against Lions, they just continue. The, the scheduling for Nickerson is just is just awful. Yeah, I think uh, Hillsborough has got the worst record of them all that they've played so far. That's three and three. 
uh, of, of the five teams they played. I mean, Larn is five and one right now, and Dale Cheney undefeated. I mean, uh, poor Nickerson, just kind of a, a victim of geography. They have been. We we we've talked about that a lot, and they just can't seem to. They can't seem to catch a break. It's kind of like Haven when they go to sub-states. They always had to play Heston. It seemed like every year when they had a really good boys team. Well, the uh, Salt Hawks, Brad, they have bounced back, back-to-back wins, albeit over South and Campus the last couple of weeks. Um, they get Mays and Andover. Mays at home and then at Andover to finish the, the schedule out. Mays. Um, not the maze of past. If they get their quarterback back, I'm not sure if he played this last week. He did not against Mays South, the game that we had. Um, no reason to think the Salt Hawks aren't going to beat Mays and then go to winless Andover and win. Um, you like the Salt Hawks' chances to be 6-2 and two when the playoffs start? Yeah, I think a lot will depend on, of course, how banged up Mays is. If they're as banged up as they were last week, uh, Hutch probably wins this one going away. And then Andover, they're probably going to comfortably win that one. But you know, once again, Hutch is four and two, Scott, and they're and they're currently they're 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 ranked eighth in five A West. And there there's there's some interaction with uh with teams going on. I think May South has to play, uh, like Goddard or something like Salina Central has to play. I think May South or something. Anyway, there, there's some interaction with teams ahead of them go, uh, going on. So Hutch has an opportunity to move up uh, some significant uh, rankings these next couple of weeks. I think if they can slide into, oh, maybe about that four seed, perhaps. I think they'd like their their uh, their chances right there. I mentioned Salina Central. I had them last week at Andover Central. Somehow, um, three turnovers. In that ball game, Brad, they found a way to come from behind. It was a one-point win, twenty-five to twenty-four. But on that final drive, there was a, a crucial penalty by Andover Central, one of those fifteen-yarders um, after the play type penalty that kept the drive alive. And then there was a point, Brad, where it looked like Salina Central had fumbled, and Andover Central had recovered. And this is getting late. I mean, we're talking under. Uh, it was under three minutes, two minutes, somewhere in that neighbor to play in the fourth quarter. Referee came in saying that the ball was down. Of course, with we have the ability um, on those TV broadcasts to look at the replay, Brad. Also, I'll say this. Salina Central caught a huge break when the kid went down, but he was down on top of somebody before he went to the ground. Ball clearly loose before he went down. They catch a break two plays later. Um, they end up scoring and holding off Andover Central in the end. So Salina Central probably pretty fortunate there to be five and one. Um, they're in five A West. I guess question: How good do you think Liberal is? They just got by Great Bend this last week. They continue undefeated at six and zero. How good do you think Liberal is? They're winning. You have to give them credit for that, right? So uh, they've beaten some couple bad non-conference games like Emporia and Topeka. Neither of them are very good. But you got to give, first of all, the, the Liberals been so bad for the last 20 years. You got to give them all the credit in the world. To answer your question, if I'm Hutch and, and, and let's say Liberals the two and I'm the seven, I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about, about my draw. Well, and that is very possible. It is. <laughs> that, that that could be a matchup right now. That If that playoff started today, that would be the matchup if you went two versus seven. Um, so very, 
very interesting. Again, it, it, it always is. You get to this time of year, and the, the playoffs are a lot of fun. Um, MLB playoffs, Brad, anything that has stood out to you? Are you surprised at um, the one seeds, the way they're struggling? Actually, the Orioles are in a in a 2 nothing hole, actually. Um, they're out. The score just went final, Brad. Texas sweeps um, the Orioles and knocks the Orioles out of the playoffs. The Braves had to come from behind over in the National League to – to tie up their series at one game apiece. Um, Houston up on Minnesota 2-1 after tonight. Um, and the D-backs, Brad, um, going back home 2-0 on the Dodgers. Just need one win and two games there to, to knock the Dodgers out. you surprised at any of the playoffs? Well, I'm getting some wild-card teams who are just catching fire right now, huh, with Texas and now uh, Arizona potentially. Uh you see an all wild card, an all wild card World Series, I guess you could say. Um, heck, yeah, the Phillies are a wild card too, and they're 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 going strong right now, uh, tied with the Braves right now. So it's it's the beauty of postseason. I mean, you, you, we often see in the NCAA tournament, you know, that one team that catches fire. We can do that in in the playoffs in, in baseball too. We we don't have the one game. It's just you you kind of get on a roll, and it's hard to turn off the, that momentum. It is, and and you just you see it every year. It, it shouldn't be a surprise, I guess. It just is. Um, Kershaw, uh, he got pulled after one inning and gave up six runs in in the first inning, um, in his start for the Dodgers. So you you could have some, you could have some new blood. Of course, I know Houston's been there. It's been a while since Texas has been there. Um, that's a potential all Texas uh, American League Championship Series. Um, do you think the Braves ultimately win over in the and get to the the National League Championship Series? Well, I would think that they would probably have the best uh, chance at it. Um, you know, tied 1-1 right now with the with the Phillies. Uh, if they would, especially if they had played the Diamondbacks, definitely would like the Braves' chances there. So, I'd say they're 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 probably the a pretty strong favorite right now to make it to the World Series in the National League. And we'll kind of keep tabs on uh, the MLB playoffs as they progress. Well, that is the gist of all of our regular topics this week, Brad. So we'll move on to your final thoughts. Well, it's fun to dream sometimes, isn't it, Scott? Uh, I think that's kind of the beauty of sports. Sometimes is to just. Um, you know, th- things that may not have seemed possible before uh, are suddenly possible. Well, my daughter, Josie, is a junior at the University of St. Mary in Leavenworth, and she plays soccer for the Spires up there. And St. Mary's soccer is not, they don't, women's soccer does not have a very strong history. They were pretty good back in the early 2000s when they had a professional named John Perry, who is their coach. I think they even won a conference championship. Uh, but if you look at, you know, their, their recent history, uh, even going back to the, I mean, they're 0 and 15 in 2004, according to their website. And they've had some pretty lean years in the last uh, 10 years or so. They had some decent years though. And last year was a decent year. Also, they go six, five and one in conference play. Uh, I think they finished seventh or six or seventh in the KCAC lost in the first round of the playoffs. Well, Scott, this year, um, you know, my daughter joined as a JC transfer from Butler playing with my niece, Nanako. And 
you know, they had a pretty good defense. We knew that they were going to have a pretty good defense. Uh, I think we were picked seventh in the preseason poll. I thought that was probably fair. Well, Scott, right now, through eight games, St. Mary is 5-0-3. We're undefeated. And the the heavy favorite, Oklahoma Wesleyan, has already tied two games, including a team, uh, Friends University, that St. Mary tied. They also tied York, who St. Mary beat. So, there's a long way to go. <laughs> I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. There's still five conference games to go. A tough Tabor team has come up this this Saturday at Hillsborough. And then we go to Oklahoma Wesleyan after that. But right now, I you just can't help if you're a St. Mary fan. There's probably not many of us out there. But even for those players, you know what? We're, we're all dreaming right now that maybe this – this is a year where it all comes together, win ourselves a conference championship or maybe even a postseason championship and make it to the national tournament. And, you know, who knows what happens there. But uh, I think that's just kind of the beauty of sports. You just don't know what's going to happen year to year and what maybe not, what maybe seemed impossible, you know, four, four or five years ago, St. Mary was two, six and four in 2019 in KCAC play. And, you know, through eight games this year, undefeated still. And how's the schedule look for them? Uh, the rest of the way. Well, let me bring it up here. So, as I mentioned, they played Tabor, who's four and four. T- Tabor, pretty much every team in this conference, Scott. You you, you look at it. It's kind of like looking at the KU football schedule. You think, well, we could lose this one. We could win this one. Uh, again, Tabor's four and four. Then they got Oklahoma Wesleyan right after that, and then they got Bethel team on uh, October twenty first in Leavenworth. Uh, Bethel's not having a great season last year. They missed the playoffs last year. So remember. They missed the playoffs last year, but St. Mary made the playoffs, and yet Bethel beat them five to one. Then they got a, a pretty good Southwestern team right after that. So this is this is probably their toughest, you know, stretch of the season right here. These next four games, and you know, I think if you said before the season, you know, hey, if you're St. Mary and you finish in the top four, you would take that in a heartbeat. Well, sure we would, uh, but the bar's been raised a little bit, Scott. Um, you know, just two points out of first place, and just again. Uh, uh, my, my, I think um, uh, Josie kind of said to me is, you know, heck, wh- why why can't we win the K- KCAC? Why not us? And I don't have an answer. Why, yeah, you're right. Why not St. Mary? I think that's just the beauty of sports is, you know, the, these dreams happen and, and, you know, the unexpected happens and uh, you just kind of try to ride it as long as you can. Oh, absolutely. And those are, those are the fun teams, Brad. We all know that, that, you know, they were – expected to be you know competitive pretty good but then all of a sudden you find yourself right there in the thick of things and that's when uh, and, you, and you can hear the excitement in your voice and that's that's when those type of seasons we, we all know that the teams we've ridden with um over the years that's when those seasons can be a lot of fun yeah yeah absolutely and you know so much can happen in five games i mean heck we might be sitting i might be sitting here in two weeks thinking well, getting ready for a first round road trip to, to you know, to uh, Kansas Wesley and for the playoffs or something like that. I mean, we just so much can still happen. I mean, the, the standings one through nine are really, really tight right now. So much movement. Uh, but, you know, those, those other teams got to play each other, too. So it's not just going to be movement on St. Mary's end. There's, there's going to be movement all around the conference. Well, my final thoughts, Brad, I, I came across uh, Facebook this last week. Uh, a video popped up back from. 2015 and brad it was a video of uh the induction ceremony of the kansas sports hall of fame of former head coach at sterling college lonnie cruz 
Um, I had never seen the video. I knew it was out there. I just hadn't seen um, the video of it. And of course, Coach Cruz passed away less than a year after this video. That anniversary just came up. It's been seven years. It hardly seems that way. September 23rd, 2016. And people that knew him, this, this video doesn't surprise him. And it just was refreshing, Brad, to to watch him, it wasn't, as you can imagine, for Lonnie, it wasn't a long um, acceptance speech. Um, it lasted somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 10 minutes, I think, on the on the long side. And just how humble of a guy he was. He didn't talk, I don't think at all, um, about his accomplishments. You know, the, the 16 national tournament appearances, the, the final four season the all the all the victories that he had of course he's still the winningest college women's basketball coach in the state of kansas uh, past marion washington during his career i mean he talked none about that it was all about um the people that he had met the other coaches the colleagues um some people that had been coached under him that went on now to, to coaching careers of course Casey Bassett now following him at, at Sterling College and it just it, it was just refreshing to see somebody that had that much success but that had that much impact on um, the people that he was around especially his players he got to coach all four of his daughters plus two of his nieces um, during his career and it was it was just it was refreshing it was it was it was a little sad to see him to know that, you know, he's been gone seven years, but just the the type of man and to know how many lives that he touched and how humble he stayed throughout all of the um, success that he had. And then he never moved. You know, he had offers. He'd downplay that. Oh, he'd ask him, oh, I never really had much interest from other schools. And, you know, that was that wasn't right that he was he was underplaying that a little bit. But it. it it was it was fun fun to see that and just fun to remember the the man that he was and not just the coach. There's a we we all know who Rusty Hilst is here in Hutch, longtime sports broadcaster and math teacher at Hutchinson High School, uh, still doing very well uh, here in town, uh, battling uh, Parkinson's. But uh, Chris Lake is a friend of mine who got to broadcast with Rusty. Uh, when he when we when I lived in Garden City, Chris was the voice of the Buffaloes and the Bronkbusters, and so of course he got to see Rusty quite a bit. And he he once described Rusty as a gentleman. That's how I would describe Lonnie Cruz. Just you know the just the 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 just the nicest man you can meet, humble, authentic more than anything else. And you know even though I didn't interact with him much, the few times I did, he was always accommodating, returning phone calls. Uh, shaking my hand when he'd see me. I mean, I, he, he acted like I'd been his friend for years, uh, even though I probably only met him twice or three times, uh, you know, in person. But uh, just uh, always make fun of Justin Morris together over at Sterling College. Uh, that, I think that's the best way to describe the, the kind of person Lonnie Cruz was. Not just authentic, but he was he's just a gentleman. Yeah, he's also in the NAIA um, Hall of Fame in the Kansas. Uh, I I don't know if the Naismith Hall of Fame will ever happen for him. Um, and it was so funny. He, he, he came to Sterling from coaching high school boys basketball. Never coached um, girls, especially at the college level. And I believe 
he talked about his first game. They lost by, I think it was 31 points. <laughs> he, and he told his wife, Carol, at the time, what have I gotten myself into? Um, <laughs> just was really wondering what he was doing. And then, of course, had, I believe it was 30 straight winning seasons um, and all the success, 700. And I believe it was six wins, 706 or 708. Um, I don't have the numbers Right in front, there it is, 706 and 244, uh, nearly coaching in a, a almost a 1,000 games um, in his college career. But, yeah, you're exactly right, gentlemen, um, and really a friend to everybody that he knew. Um, and that is the podcast for this evening. Uh, be sure to join us next week. We'll break down all of the great action coming up this weekend. But for tonight's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. See you next week.